what it brings And the hurt that tries to grab The many trials that seem to never end His word declares this truth That we will enter in this rest With wonders anew But I hold on to this hope And the promise that He brings That there will be a place with no more suffering There will be a day with no more tears No more pain and no more fears There will be a day when the burdens of this place will be no more. We'll see Jesus face to face. But until that day, we'll hold on to you always. Know the journey seems so long You feel you're walking on your own But there has never been a step Where you've walked out all alone Troubled soul, don't lose your heart Cause joy and peace He brings And the beauty that's in store Outweighs the hurt of life's sting But I hold on to this hope And the promise that He brings That there will be a place with no more suffering There will be a day with no more tears No more pain and no more fears There will be a day when the burdens of this place Will be no more We'll see Jesus face to face But until that day We'll hold on to you always I can't wait until that day When the very one I've lived for always Will wipe away the sorrow that I have faced Oh, to touch the scars that rescued me From a life of shame and of misery Oh, this is why, this is why I sing There will be a day With no more tears No more pain And no more fears There will be a day When the burdens of this place We'll be no more We'll see Jesus face to face There will be a day With no more tears No more pain And no more fears There will be a day When the burdens of this place Will be no more We'll see Jesus face to face There will be a day He'll wipe away the tears He'll wipe away the tears He'll wipe away the tears There will be a day
That was good. Mm. If you will, open your Bibles this morning to Malachi chapter 1. If you don't know where that's at, go to Matthew and take a left. I was, I was thinking how to introduce this message, and, and the best thing I could come up with is there's, there's a trick that I play on the youth a lot. Matter of fact, uh, I get told a lot, Trey, that's getting old. But I, I'll, I'll point to the ground and I'll say, you dropped your pocket. And, of course, they all look. But the thing is, who can drop their pocket unless the stitches came out? There's a lot of, a lot of work to go on there to drop your pocket. But the trick is to get them to look. And it's getting so old that if they really just realized what I was saying, they wouldn't look. And as I, as I think about our passage of Scripture this morning, if we really just realized what God told us in His book, we wouldn't look anywhere else. We would keep our eyes focused on Him throughout our day, knowing that His Word is the true map to our life. In Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, The burden of the Lord, the burden of the Word of the Lord, to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. I hated Esau. And I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build this desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. And, I, and they shall call them the border of the wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. The Lord absolutely loves his people. Here we're told that he loved Jacob and he hated Esau, but I wanted to break down those words for you real quick. He chose Jacob. He rejected Esau. God loves all of His children. All of His creation He loves. But He chose Jacob. And after you go through Genesis 27, you really wonder, why did He love Jacob? Jacob lied to his father, to his brother, in order to gain. Jacob lusted after Esau's stuff. He, he lusted after Isaac's blessing. He lied, he lusted, and he stole. All of it. What a sinner Jacob was. But then I think, God loves him, and he loves me. What a sinner I am. He shouldn't love me. But he loved me first. 
before I was even created. In 1 John, verse 4, and verse 9, or chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And then in verse 19 it says, We love Him because He loved us first. Before I was created, He loved me. See, His love for me is not dependent on me. His love for me is because I am His creation. His love for me is because He wanted something to cry out and worship Him. It's not dependent on whether I do worship Him. And then in Romans 5 and verse 8, it says, But God commendeth His love toward us. And catch this. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did He showed His love so majestical in light of I'm still a sinner. Wow. That's amazing love. It's love above anything you can imagine. It's not about what I can do, but rather what He has done. But the fact is, He loves us so much so much beyond our human brain, it can't even comprehend it all. And then as we read further in our text, in Malachi 6 through 13, it says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? There it is. Where's my honor? If I'm truly your father, if, if you really think I love you like I do, where's my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have ye despised my name? Ye offer polluted bread upon my altar, and ye say, Wherein have ye polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifices, is that not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the governors. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. And now I pray you beseech God that ye will be gracious unto us. This hath been your means. Ye will he regard your persons? saith the Lord of hosts. Who is this there, even among you, that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire of mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place... Incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, 
The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering, should I accept this of your hands, saith the Lord. They were given leftover sacrifices to God. And he said, I will not accept it. But that's the exact same way that we treat God. We give him our leftovers with our time, with our money, with our family, with our relationships. We give him the leftovers. What's left? And I think, and I honestly do think, that a lot of times we are suffering from the same thing that these people in Malachi were suffering from. We're not giving God the honor that He is due. God gave them to you. Give them back to God. And everything. You know, I, I watched our ball teams this week. That's, uh, if you've called the office and I hadn't been in, they asked me to help announce at the ball teams. And I was so proud of Hamburg. The very first team in the whole tournament to get out on the field and say a prayer together. So proud of them. Because it starts there with dads, coaches stepping up and saying, we will honor God. We will honor Him. But a lot of times it seems that we get tired of God. In verse 13, it said, "Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. Is serving God a weariness? When we get to the point that we're seeing God and serving Him properly, being a hassle, we're far from wrong. Or we are wrong. We've went too far. If you'll remember the Scripture in Matthew, verse 11, or chapter 11 and verse 28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you're going after God, He will give you rest. He will give you the adequate amount of of nutrition that you need. And what I mean by that is when you're going after God full force and you're following after Him, you're still working. You're still going. But He'll give you enough to keep going. And to keep going. And to keep going. Working for God is not about laziness. Because that's not giving honor to God when you're going at His work in a lazy position. It says, come unto me. You've got to do something. You've got to go after God. It's not weariness. We wonder why it seems like there's no time in the world today. It's because we're so far away from God that we tire so easily. Are we taking God with us on our vacations, on our ball tournaments? Are we taking God everywhere we go? And then we act as if God is worthless. In verse 7 and in verse 12, it uses the word contemptible. And that means worthless. 
When you're giving God the leftover sacrifices, when you're giving God what's left of your family, you're acting as if He is worthless. Like He really doesn't matter. And let me tell you, you are bad wrong if you think God is worthless because God is the one that holds your family together. God is the one that keeps your family tight-knit. God is the one that keeps your relationship strong. Seeking after Him is the only way to keep our family, our church, and every part of our life right. When we stop giving the things we were meant to give to God, that's the exact point we get tired of God. And all in all, we're saying that God is worthless. But when we do that, when we say that God is Acting as if God was worthless. We start acting as if He wasn't even real. In verse 8 it says, If you offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Catch this last part. Offer it now unto the governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? God just narrows it down to a real person. He says, you know what? If you offered it to the governor, would he accept it? Because God is as real as he's ever been. And we've got to offer up that which is good to God. We've got to offer up our lives whenever it talks about in the New Testament following after Christ. It says, give up your life. And you'll find it. You'll find it. We've got to act, though, that God was as real as you and me. Because it's not acting, it's the truth. He is as real as you and me. And He does govern this world. And He does see after and make sure that she spins on her axis every day. She makes sure we wake up in the morning. And we get another day of life. And we've got to give it back to Him. But you know, in spite of all this, in spite of all that we truly do to God, He still stands. In verse 14, it says, But cursed be the deceiver which hath his flock a male, and valeth and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. His greatness, His love, is not dependent on you and me. 